Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bepper. Yes, coming to you straight from Lynn Valley as usual. Uh, right. We're continuing this thing going. And, you know, uh, last week uh, we took a little bit of a week off. We did not warn you, but Dave was not feeling good that day. I ended up not feeling good on uh, the, I guess that was Friday or whatever. So there's some stuff going around, but hey, we're, we're alive. God is good no matter what. And uh, we made it through and we are here on another Monday to record for a Tuesday uh, upload time. Um, it will happen this time. So I know that there's a little hitch in the giddy up the week before, but hey, we're here. We got some original content we're working on. Dave had uh, watched a sermon. I guess you could say this is our own version of uh, Radio Free Geneva because we're going to be talking about, uh, and I didn't even plan it this morning. I just put the shirt on, but we're going to talk about some Calvinism issues um, in Baptist life. And so, um, you know, we're it, hopefully this will be fruitful. So this will be a first episode um, in a series. We're going to we'll keep this kind of in the background just to kind of talk about some, some things that uh, come up in the video. Um, but yeah. Yeah, Dave, um, you know, take it away with uh, what you got on this. Yeah, well, I'm so glad to always join you, Adam. What a blessing it is. Thank you so much. Those of you who listen to the podcast, those of you who watch us on YouTube, check out the stuff that we do. We're always so thankful when you like, when you share, when you subscribe. It's it's a blessing. Uh, we enjoy this opportunity. And so I'm excited to be here today and to be able to uh, demonstrate what I believe is a uh, pulpit highway robbery, essentially, mm-hmm. um, because, and the reason I say that is because we gather on the Lord's day to glorify the Lord, to worship the Lord, to hear from God's word, and to be reminded of the hope we have because of Jesus Christ. Worship on the Lord's day is about the Lord, and I believe that there are some individuals who were, uh, who actually had some highway Lord's Day robbery uh, occur. And uh, this was drawn to my attention by a friend of Adam and I's by the name of Scott Weldon, who's a pastor uh, in the Springfield area. And he sent me this video, said, hey, Dave, what do you think? And I was shocked and appalled, mm-hmm. as I still am. So the video we're showing you is not us trying to be jerks. In fact, actually, we're invited and told everybody in the world needs to hear this message. Oh, very good. What you're going to find here in this video is a pastor um, Clifton Long, a guy that I know who I've actually shared coffee with, who I've prayed with. Um, he is at Promise Point Baptist Church in the Dallas County Association of Southern Baptists. And he introduces his sermon by sharing that there was a resolution that their association put together denouncing Reformed theology, which is just absurd for that to happen. But we'll go ahead and jump into the video. But this is a Lord's Day sermon. I, I want that to be something that is focused on. Uh, a Lord's Day sermon where the Lord's word is to be revered, honored, and proclaimed to God's people to edify them, to convict them of sin. Obviously, these are some things that I would encourage anyone to be thinking about. Is this actually a sermon or is this a rant? Yeah, yeah, and we can get to you know to some of those details uh, shortly. Uh, but what I wanted to make sure is to let you guys know, um, you know, anybody who listens to this totally the charge um, can happen. And we just, I wanted to hit it um, from the get-go is uh, you're going to be like, this is low hanging fruit. Um, If we were just here to win an argument, 
just a, you know, if that's what we're here for, okay, totally get you right. You know, the charge would be correct. Um, but the, the, what makes this as important, um, is the fact that this is probably the average type of church, uh, especially in Missouri, uh, and especially those flyover States, um, with a lot of rural, uh, churches going on. Um, you know, like 1% of the churches in the Baptist life are mega churches. Right. And those are definitely going to have seminary trained, uh, even doctoral, um, pastors. Um, then you've got maybe a little bit more, say maybe 10, 15, I'll, I'll, I'll grant 20% have a minute, like have a person that has went to say, uh, one of the Southern Baptist institutions to be trained, um, to, to, uh, be a pastor and to preach and whatever specialty, uh, they got into as missionaries, whatever. Um, but I'm going to say that majority, um, are people that have, uh, you know, rose up and have been recognized by their independent, you know, autonomous congregation as somebody that they believe uh, is somebody that, you know, that they, they, they've looked through scriptures saying, this is what an elder is an overseer. This is what we see. And we're going to put this person into gospel ministry. Right. And so this is probably going to be a picture into um, just what a normal, like the average Baptist church is. So this is why it's important. Um, You know, so it's not just going, Hey, you know, this, uh, we're just going to, continue to beat against the straw man. This stuff is um, going on in this kind of average thing. This is why it's important because uh, really when it gets down into the uh, middle end of the sermon, he talks about division a lot. So, you know, like and well, we, and- as Christians, division is a very important and serious issue to consider um, because we are supposed to be uniting. All God's people are supposed to be one because Jesus prayed for it, right? He prayed that we would be one as him and the father are one. So if we're not being one, there is a problem. And if we talk about division, if we're okay with division, it better be a a real biblical issue to divide over um, a serious biblical division to, to divide over. So that's why, you know, yes, on one sense, if you could call us uh, just, you know, p- clobberers that we're just doing it to win and pat our egos, then yeah, the, the charge would be correct that we are just going after low hanging fruit, but no, this is a very important subject. Yeah. And what I want to make sure we focus on very clearly, those of you who are listening is this is not a let's slam this guy. Actually, what I found and what broke my heart as I listened to this um, diatribe was a spirit of hatred and animosity that was ill-informed. I'll never forget reading one of Jason Allen's early blogs when he became president of Midwestern. And he said he was in a church and someone asked him, you're not one of those Calvinists, are you? And Jason said, "Well, well, what's a Calvinist? And the person described very similar to what is being attributed to those who affirm a formed reformed theology here. And Jason said, well, no, of course I'm not. And so our hope is, and we are going to send a copy of this to Brother Long. We would love, uh, Cliff, I, I hope you listen to this. Uh, I hope you hear our spirit of, Brother, I don't think that you are on the opposite side of me. I, I believe you love the Lord. You fear the Lord. You desire to see people come to salvation but I do too. And you have in your statements here stated, I play for a different team. That is problematic. And that's what we want to deal with is there's not, this is not, look, theological differences are going to happen. There are going to be people who have different views of eschatology, ecclesiology, pneumatology, uh, definitely soteriology. But what is our ultimate goal? to see Christ glorified, to see the kingdom expand, to see people who are dead in sin come to salvation. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this will uh, be the first in the series. Anyway, we'll do this over a few uh, weeks. I'm sure um, it's a Facebook video, so I don't have any controls on it yet. Um, so it'll be just normal speed or whatever. So like I said, we were a little bit on a time constraint for this episode, but again, we'll pick up, pick this up for a little bit um, as it is important. So let's dig in. You ready, Dave? I'm ready, man. The way I think of Jude, or when it comes to my mind, the way I kind of picture it. All right. So, yeah, I kind of um, maybe a little bit didn't start at the right. I should have said the same thing. He's He's preaching from the book of Jude. Yeah, Yeah, he's preaching from the book of Jude. So let's uh, continue. This is a vestibule, an entryway into the book of Revelations. So real quick, it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. Jude is now presented as an entryway into the book of Revelation. I, I've read quite a bit on the book of Jude, read it through it, preached through it, never really heard of it, ever introduced as that. In fact, Revelation was written probably 30 years after the book of Jude. Yeah. God uh, had his hand in arranging our Bible. It was not arranged geogra- or, uh, chronologically or Anything, but I, I'm convinced that it is raised the way God wanted it. Okay, real quick. Uh, just so you know, that's church history. Mm-hmm. What was stated there was, and I would agree that God definitely arranged it, but man had his hand in it. Here's the interesting thing. Why is the New Testament arranged the way it is? Is it for Jude to be an entryway into Revelation? Uh, I would need you to prove that to me from the text of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, internal would be great, especially if you're going to say it's God's way to want to arrange it, because then you have to interpret scripture with scripture to do to be able to say that, or else you're going to have to go into the man side of of things. When we see the topic and we examine this book, uh, I think it makes a little bit of sense why it's right where it is, and it uh, its topic is very applicable to that. Okay, real quick. It's topical. It's topic is very applicable today. Okay, agreed completely. What is it that Jude is actually attempting to do? Well, he makes it very clear in verse four. We'll deal with that. Brother Long's not going to deal with that reality. He's going to insert his hobby horse into the text of scripture. Yeah, and and like you know. Just to just to give a little, uh, you know, for people that don't understand, uh, maybe some expositional preaching thing, just real quick. I just want to give a diagram here because a lot of people go from text to context. So you're just making a straight arrow. You got the text. It says this, then contextualize it to today. This is what he's doing. Right. And uh, David Helm in his book, you know, talks about this box. You go from the text, then then theological reflection and then down to us now. And so you got to talk about the them, then what's going on then let's get into the text. Let's get into, um, gra- so the grammatical historical hermeneutic, which is the Baptist way. Thank Here's you. Dave. Exactly what it looks like that what Adam is talking about. Yes. Yes. And so that's, that's the great box there. Um, that is a great, just understanding, simple understanding of what expositional preaching should do in a diagram too. Um, but so the thing is, is he's only doing the the bottom part. And so you're going to see the problems that arise whenever you don't add in the actual workaround to get to us today, because that's very important because it definitely keeps the preacher from being the, the speaker. The, it shouldn't be man's word. 
which is the problem in this video, at least with what the guy has. Um, but he's going to be committing the problem that he's speaking against uh, because of that. So just uh, I just wanted to put that out there for people that don't know why we have such a problem. There's one right there, and you're going to see it. Made the announcement about the letter that was drafted for our association, addressing what we feel is not only uh, false doctrine, but out-and-out heresy. Okay, real quick. Mm -hmm. That is very interesting. It is now the association that has decided what is heresy. Likewise, what is a good definition of heresy? Well, a good definition of heresy, I think that Merriam-Webster defines heresy as, not I think, I know, adherence to a religious opinion contrary to church dogma. Or a second de definition, dissent or deviation from a dominant theory, opinion, or practice. Likewise, heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox religious especially Christian doctrine. So the charge is made that Reformed theology is heresy, meaning that these people do not stand in the camp of Christianity. This is not Orthodox Christian. They're defining that. This is no longer Orthodox Christian. So in order to do that, they'll need to present, here's what they actually believe compared to Scripture. Here's what Scripture says, and here's why what they believe is contrary directly to Scripture. So a charge was made Anyone who affirms Reformed theology, which is interesting because there's definitely elements of Reformed theology in any traditional Southern Baptist church, by the way, because they're a product of the Reformation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 1689. If it wasn't for this one, you wouldn't have the Charleston. You wouldn't have the New Hampshire, Philadelphia. Hmm. And uh, it was definitely through the New Hampshire that got down to the uh, 1925 Baptist faith and message. So watch what you're about ready to say, because you're going to kill yourself from history. And this is what the liberals are doing right now. So do you like revisionist history? You're going to have a problem. So, I mean, it, it does continue. Being perpetuated by the learning institutions supported by our conventions. Okay, so then again, the charge yeah. is made that our theological seminaries are training people to be five-point Calvinist. False. Yeah. Um, have you heard of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary? I don't even know what the uh, what it is that they're where their president falls on this. I don't even know, honestly, where any of the presidents, aside from Al Mohler, where they stand on Reformed theology. So, just want you to know, you've now been told. If you're Southern Baptist, and actually, by the way, the reality is that it's not just the Southern Baptists that be, are being educated at our Southern Baptist theological seminaries. 60% of those who are getting theological degrees in the United States are going to Southern Baptist seminaries. So now you've been told that 60% of all those who are going to conservative theological seminaries, the six one, the six, the big six, the Southern Baptist, they're all being taught heresy they're being taught a non-christian gospel and i can tell you right now um you can look at it and you can find out that um if there is any heresy that's getting taught and i'm it's it's not necessarily getting taught but there's conclusions being made and it's not on the calvinist side because it's actually on the arminian side of things that people are turning catholic out of our institutions there's a greater problem and it's a reformation problem so which, which side are you going to be? Are you going to get stuck on the Reformation side 
So the reality or is, or are you going to end up going on the Counter Reformation or pre Reformation side? So that's another issue that has to be talked about. So this isn't even an accurate portrayal of yeah. reality, by the way. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, there is a false narrative being propagated to contextualize the times. That's not reality that yeah. you're being that anyone who is listening to this sermon is being told yeah it's just it, yeah it's just a bunch of this this is called rumors and gossip and if there is any problem that needs to be dealt with is rumors and gossip and so this is where the church needs to have a panel of people if you're wanting to talk about reform theology bring people in that don't agree with you and have a conversation instead of just being a cult leader and telling your people what to believe and get them to say amen all the time. That would be the issue. Instead of just speaking against it, bring people in, understand, reconcile, don't divide. Reconcile is our ministry. Are you reconciling or are you dividing? That's a way of battling, isn't it? That, that is a way of, uh, of addressing those issues. By the way, uh, if you have access to the, this uh, internet feed, I would appreciate it if you'd share it with those you can share it with today. He appreciates what we're doing. So again, Thank this is you. why we're doing it. So we're going to do this and we're sharing it and we're going to have the conversation. Now, are you willing to have the conversation? So I pray that uh, you watch this somebody from your church watches this or whoever gets it to you and that this can actually become a conversation. So this is Dave again, is a man that served with you in the association. And you're basically saying that while he was at first Baptist Buffalo, you were willing to have that church cut off unless if they got rid of Dave, you're calling Dave a heretic and that you wish he was out of the, you wish you could have forced him out via resolution from the Southern, from the Missouri Baptist to kick Dave out from his job or that church to remove itself from. So let's, let's look at the implications of what you're doing and let's go. And then you'd have to be able to go admit that that is true, that you're okay with all those impl implications or think about them and go like, oh yeah, that is a lot. I'm sorry. And then we can have a reconcilial relationship versus a, an explosive deconstructionist relationship. This is not just a message for our church. This uh, uh, book of Jude is a message that should be addressed to every Christian that follows the truth of the Bible and the gospel as we know it. Okay. Right. And, Amen. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and if it's if it's uh, true, great. And we, we are happy at Taggart Ministries to uh, have our platform get this message out. Okay. And what is it? So then the real question, Brother Long, is what is it exegetically that Jude is talking about? How about the antinomianism, antinomianism that was perpetuating the early church? Yeah. That's really what this is about, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can delete out my face, whatever you want to do. I don't care whether my name's mentioned or my face is up here, but I, this message should go worldwide. And again, we're Jude happy to addressed help. it to the world. Jude addressed it to all Christians, all those of the common salvation. 
and there, it was an issue that existed. That so then, according to according to Brother Long, the message of Jude isn't for me because I've now been excluded as a heretic. Anyone who would affirm any type of anywhere in the spectrum of Reformed theology is a heretic because they're not Christians. So the message isn't for them. Gotcha. It was some 30 years roughly after Jesus was crucified. And we're going to see that the issues we face today in the My church... My question would be how he knows that, by the way, just based upon what's going to be said here in a little bit. How does he know that Jude was written 30 years before this? Yeah. Or after, a little bit. after the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. To provide some textual criticism to your people so that they're armed to be able to have that conversation because you're supposed to be making disciples who make disciples. Those questions are going to come up. So that's a part of the apologetical ministry, either proclaiming or, or defending and, and giving these answers. Christendom and trying to spread the truth was already being faced then. Okay. So yeah. real quick. And so, yeah, yeah. Keep that one go up. for it, Adam, go for it. Man. Um, I, I was just yeah. going to say, and, and Dave, I mean, it's, it's yours anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like after hearing you say that, yeah, I just had to, re that was my reaction anyway, but Dave, it's yours. Take it. So what he is saying is he's already set things up. I want to see if, if you please follow the argument. Reformed theology is heresy. Okay. Every Christian should hear this. Okay. The next link is these are the issues that Jude was facing. So you're way out of whack historically. You're not a very good historian in any way. You're not even a good, under, you don't have a good understanding of, of, of the actual modern context regarding Reformed theology. We've already demonstrated that. But next, what you've now asserted here, and many people probably in your church are following this line of thought. They think that Jude was written to combat Reformed theology. Calvin and Luther were not even a sparkle in their parents' eye. And their parents Augustine, a sparkle in their parents' eye. And it Augustine wasn't even alive. Augustine right. wasn't even alive. So the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, which seems to be your main issue, those statements in the way that they are nuanced now and understood now, that is what, according to Brother Long, Jude is addressing. Mm -hmm. And again, that's what you got to go through the box instead of going from text to context. You got to go through the box because then you can be able to go, well, there, here's, here's the problem in Jude. And then this is how it's manifesting itself today. And then you, you got people in there and then you can go, here's how we, here's how we respond. And here's what we need to repent of. For, well, first is here's what we need to repent of. We've seen it here. This is the problem they're talking about. And we need to repent of it. And then here's how we need to respond and get other to call other people to repentance for the problem that's actually in Jude. So again, I'm, I'm glad maybe you can say, well, hey, apparently he thinks that uh, this teaching is uh, an old teaching. A lot of people say, no, this isn't tell Calvin until, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's okay. I mean, so now I'm like, which, which one is it? You so know, the I'm, assertion I'm, has I'm been spinning. made that yeah. Jude is directly addressing Reformed theology. And he uh, is quoting, and there's some uh, things that were brought up by Peter. False. Backwards. That's Jude. backwards. That's backwards. The belief is from almost everyone that 
Peter is quoting Jude. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to warn the uh, believers about uh, before he died. It's that important. You know, I've mentioned before that how precious it is to me uh, those uh, things in, well, in all the Gospels, but there, that time frame when Jesus had come down to knowing that in the next day or two he was going to be crucified and he was going to go back to be with his father and the things that he told those closest to him. I hold those dear because I've said at deathbeds of both family and friends and church members and I know that the things said at those times that we know we're coming to the end of our life are those things we want them to remember, those things that are most precious and dear to us. And so those teachings that Jesus gave his disciples at that time, I pay particular attention to. Well, I pay attention to all the things that Jesus says, and everything in Scripture is God-breathed. I don't highlight, nor do I prioritize, for some narrative effect, anything in the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse has the same authority as the book of Jude, uh, Mm -hmm. as the book of Deuteronomy, right? Mm -hmm. As the book of Genesis. That's not a very good way at all to set your people up. You've now elevated certain points of scripture. Certainly there are points of scripture that in a specific context apply to a specific doctrine in an incredibly important way. But what you've just done there is you've set up in your congregation a continuum for which they should understand Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. When he knew he was no longer going to walk with them daily, he was going to see them again, but he was no longer going to be with them on a daily basis and on that close. Oh, he's not? You want to talk about heresy? Jesus is not going to. He said, I would be with you always. Oh, I didn't quote a guy. I quoted Jesus again. Watch what you say. So I understand this is like, this is this. We've talked about this and it's been a long time since we brought up the term sentimental theology. You're getting sentimental. You're trying to evoke emotion out of your people and whoever's watching this with a folk sentiment, but look what it's you're doing. Look what you're doing, doing that. Jesus said, I would be with you always. You can say, well, he wouldn't physically be around, but then that would totally destroy your whole sentiment kind of issue. Jesus was always going to be with them. That's the motivation for disciple making is that Jesus will be with us always, even to the end of the aeon, end of the times. So let be careful. If, if you're going to call somebody out for not being careful with their theology, be careful with yours. So again, this is the whole, uh, hypocritical thing that Jesus spoke of, like, don't judge others. Take the plank out of your eye first. And you've got a plank in your eye now. Familial type of relationship that he had with them. He was going to tell them those things that he thought was most important for them to remember. And so I pay particular attention to those. I pay attention to all the Bible. But Peter stressed in Second Peter, many of the things that Jude brings out here today, right before he was going to be crucified. Upside down, this tradition has it. 
because he wouldn't be crucified the way the Savior was. There's some more of that sentimentalism. Oh, so why are you? But there's the later charge, but we can talk about it now. He's going to end up going like, stop quoting people. I only only quote Jesus. You, you, this is why Reformed theology is wrong because it quotes man. It quotes man. Why are you quoting tradition? Why are you even giving that information? Because the Bible doesn't come out and say that, right? You're going to get mad at people for utilizing other other things other than just Jesus's words. Yet you're giving your people information that can only be found by man tradition. So it's only church tradition that says that Peter was hung on a cross upside down. So watch yourself. Take the planks out of your own eye first before you sit there and you call a guy like Dave a a heretic pastor that needs to be run out of the church or the church needs to be taken away. This This is bad. This is sad, and we ask you to repent. Please. The things we're going to look at today are important. Again, they're the portico, the entryway to Revelations, the way I see it. Because we were going to be in these times, right before we uh, come to the end of this whole world. And prove that. <laughs> prove that. Oh, yeah. That's another show. We've already done that show. Jude. The servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Jude identifies himself as the brother of James. The James he's referring to is the one that wrote the book of James. The one that wrote the book of James was half-brother to Jesus Christ. So is Jude. Jude was not a believer in his brother. So there is your problem with making claims that you can't specifically validate. What is more responsible for a pastor to do when instructing their church is to say, it is believed that based upon some of the internal evidence, here's the internal evidence that causes us to believe. He says, nope, I know this is Jude. This is the brother of Jesus. Something the text doesn't say. We need to be super cautious when we assert boldly the text says this. By the way, Brother Long, how do you know that this is Jude, the brother of Jesus, uh, based upon what internal evidence that you're going to present. The responsible thing to do as a pastor, as, as a pastor, as an exegete, would be to say, here are the texts that lead me to believe this, and here's historically how this is understood. Mm-hmm. Brothers did not see him as the promised Messiah until he was resurrected. By the way, I should say, I, I agree with him, by the way. I, I actually agree yeah. with him that I believe that it is probably Jude, the brother of Jesus. But the responsible thing to do as a pastor is if you're going to make that claim, say, here's the internal evidence that at least prov- provides me with the evidence I need to make this conclusion and the evidence that, that others have used to come to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. that, don't you? You let me grow up with somebody, my older brother, and see him working alongside his dad, eating dinner with me, and getting up in the morning when I did, and 
going to the same toilet and everything else, right? He was male. I witnessed him as a man all those years. I would resist the thought that he was also the Messiah as being taught, wouldn't he? He is naturally. He was, That's my brother. He's, he can match his finger the same way I did. You know, he has the, the same I mean, that's idea. the he beautiful gospel about me. Jesus. I mean, he he became flesh. So, I mean, we have no problem. Yeah. This, this, part, this is this this is wonderful, brother. actually, too. Great, great, great illustration. Great illustration. Amen. Yeah, beautiful illustration. I'm going to someday. But seeing him resurrected, that was a different story. Amen, mm -hmm. brother. Amen. I, I agree with you completely, on. brother Long. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. But he's addressed to this to believers, hadn't he? And then he asked a benediction on them of mercy unto you, peace, love be multiplied. Now, ah, sneaky, very sneaky. So here's you, you had that, you, you, you lulled us with something awesome, right? But what did you forget? You talked about Jude, brother James. Did you forget the two? Who's it to? Why did you skip the two? Mistake? Um, are you suppressing that you made it? You know, what is it? Because we got to talk about the two. You, you read it. It is to those who are called. I'm using the CSB here. Yeah. To those who are the called, loved by God, the Father, and kept for Jesus. You skipped He's over that. And so just I got to point that out because as we keep on progressing, you're going to find out why that's a problem. Why, why, why lift up and explain Jude and James and all that, but not lift up the audience. Cause this is a letter that you got to explain to your people. This is a letter. This is how things are written. If you look at other letters, Paul says, I am Paul, blah, 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 blah to who, and what are the words you use to, to describe the people he's talking? I mean, there's, there's lots of information just in greetings that we don't even do anymore. And so, you know, but that's something that has to be explained and uh, the blatant forgetting, if that's what it is, shows up that that is a problem. Who is the letter addressed to? You talked about who it's from. Why not tell us who it's addressed to? Well, the Greek there uh, and using the KJV, that's what you're using. Uh, the KJV for 1B reads, to them that are sanctified, so the work of sanctification by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, so they are sanctified by God the Father, they are preserved in their faith by Jesus Christ, and what? Kaletos, called. Mm -hmm. That word has meaning. That word has incredible context. Those who are called, those who are chosen right? And just grab any lexicon that you have. The usage is invited, summoned by God to an office of salvation, summoned by God. Um, obviously, it focuses on God's general call, his invitation. But in this context, it's very clear, those who were summoned to salvation, he's speaking to the elect. And if you do just a comparison, Kaletos is used 11 times in the New Testament. Matthew 20, 16, for many are called, but few are chosen. For many are 
called, but few are chosen, Matthew 22, 14, Romans 1, 1, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, Romans 1, 6, you, ye, are ye also called of Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 7, beloved of God called to be saints, Romans 8, 28, to them who are called according to his purpose, 1 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul called to be an apostle, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, called to be saints, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 24, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Jude 1, 1, here it is, preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Revelation so, 17, 14, yeah. they so, that are with him nice. are called and chosen and faithful. There's a particular context that you have now missed. Why? Was this intentional? Or was it that you don't know how to, to reconcile that? Those who are called unto yeah. salvation. See, yeah, because you have to go like, okay, so if this letter is written for those who were called, loved by God, that means there are people that are not called or loved by God. And you have to be cool with saying that. I know I have a lot of problems people saying that are God doesn't love some people. It's like, no. And actually there's a scripture, a explicit scripture to back that up saying that, you know, the wrath abides on people's heads. That's not love. That's wrath. So, you know, again, systematics is a big deal. You know, biblical theology is big. Systematic comes and supports that and everything like that. Like, again, like I understand that there's no seminary. If there's no seminary training here, I, I totally get it. But it's something that should be worked on if you didn't take, say, the four, five, six, seven years at a seminary before you came into it. This is something that you got to be doing as you go along. And, you know, coming from a homeschooled apologist that, you know, I'm, I'm a family man, a working man and stuff like that. And this, the tool like we live in a time where there is no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. There are simple nine marks books that talk about biblical theology and systematic theology and, and like the importance of all these kind of things. Right. And hey, so this is it's totally this... available and it's in the SBC, it's an entity, right. You know, so yeah. like you are being like, we are spooned this stuff. And so there is no reason to not do this, but then again, I can totally like, tell this... you, I can yeah. totally tell you when I sat down with this guy back in 2016 and visited with him, I asked him what theological books, I always want to know what books pastors are reading, right? That like gives me an incredible understanding of who they are, what they're into uh, regarding specific doctrinal emphases, right? So, you know, you run into a lot of folks who are reading discipleship books, amazing, reading preaching books, amazing. What are you doing to, to improve, to grow as a communicator of the gospel? I asked this guy what books that he had. He said, oh, I've got a, I've got a library with 66 books. Yeah. Hey. And here's, here's the bad thing about that. If, and so this, like you see that meme all the time saying, you know, like I'm a Christian and I don't go to church, but I read the Bible, blah, 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 which then says what you do. You're not listening to the Bible. Right. Well, the thing is, if you deny the uh, works of your brothers and sisters, you're denying Ephesians four because God gave, Jesus gave gifts to man when he resurrected. So he gave some to be prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers. So you're denying pastors and teachers their job and their duty and the role that they have in believers' lives whenever you're rejecting anything but the 66 books of the Bible. So that 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 whole um, pious 
um, nothing but the Bible um, thing is is not biblical. So you're you're denying the work of God in history, how He deals with His people when you say that. So again, watch yourself, think about what you say, take your time. But see, this is what prejudice does. Prejudice makes one a fool. Prejudice makes division and not unity. So because you're prejudiced, it's nothing but division here now, and there's no reconciliation. And so you're, we're going to find out who is being anti-biblical and anti-Christ. Now, we're not going to call you a heretic. We're going to call you misinformed. Um, you know, We're going to call you like a brother that should not be in your position, though. And your it's position ignorance. doesn't make you it's higher. Willing like, ignorance yeah. is what it is. It's We're not calling you a Yeah, it's not a second class citizen thing. It's just I don't think you should be a overseer of souls. But that's okay. Again, your position doesn't make you who you are. You are who you are in Christ, first and foremost. And whatever you're called to do after that is a great activity. In service to God, whatever that is, I'm finding I'm going. We're going to find out that if you can't repent from some of this stuff, then uh, you need to put yourself out. Well, they're lies. But, that, yeah, that's the issue. Yeah. We'll we'll get to it. it's lies. But you know, again, the cool thing is, is as brothers, we leave room for repentance we over want, time. Yeah. So we, we want, want to yeah. have this discussion. Like we want to correct your understanding of things. That is a. That is because we actually believe you're a brother in Christ. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, that's very important here. Be multiplied. Beloved, verse three, this is an important verse. Please pay attention. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to writing to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Amen. Apologetics. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, when I made a special effort to get this letter done, written unto you that are saved by Jesus Christ the same way I am, by the shed blood and faith in him only, I'm writing this to you, and I made a special effort to get that done. It was needful for me to write it to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. It was absolutely necessary, mandatory, urgent that I write to you and exhort you, urge you that, on, lift you up. Amen. That is exactly right. It mm -hmm. was incredibly important for Jude to denounce what was going on, the type of false teaching that was going on, which was antinomianism, by the way, and we know that from looking at the text and from understanding the historical background of what's going on. By the way, it wasn't because of Calvinism, it wasn't because of Reformed theology. Don't insert that into it. What made it necessary was that people were saying, you could say you were saved and do whatever you wanted, no regard for any of the moral standards of the Jewish law. Mm -hmm. Do whatever is necessary to get you into action. And that action was to earnestly contend for the faith. 
that was once delivered into the saints. Early, he didn't say, I want you to make an effort. I want you to uh, keep this in your mind. He said, I want you to earnestly contend. I want you to get serious about fighting for the faith. And what is that fight? I want to be this, this to be something that is important to you to contend, to fight. Contention, folks, is necessary. Yep, and that's why Contention we're here. is part of serving Jesus Christ. Amen, brother. And so if contention is as important to you, here's how you can be an example to your flock as a pastor, and please come talk to us. Let's contend for the faith. This is your open invitation. We contend with the devil all the time. Or we should. Sometimes we just appease him, I think. But we should be contending with those things which go against the gospel, shouldn't we? That's right. What are those things, though? Why did the you think it was necessary for them to start being urgently contending? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained of this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. There you go. Yes. That was defined right there what those people were doing. And the yeah. types of people that he was calling them to contend against. Lascivious, great word. Yep. So it's, yeah, for, yeah. So here's what the, here's the thing is, is for some people who were designated for this judgment, designated for this judgment long ago. So a long time before this that I'm writing to you, long time ago, they were designated for this. So there's a plan from a long time ago that they were designated for this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do what he's doing is saying kind of the same thing three times. And so, so th let me get back here because I, I looked away from my text, um, but yeah. So where am I now? Where am I? We are okay. in verse four. Yeah. So for some people who were designated for this judgment, so they were designated for judgment a long time before this. All right, that's good. That's all I needed to do. So wait, wait, wait. I want to want to stop. So according to Jude, those people that are living lasciviously, that are planting false doctrine, what? They were designated to that condemnation. When? In the future? No, no, no. In the past. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. Interesting little piece there. Mm -hmm. That's how we know it's antinomianism, by the way. But they were designated, which means long before they were actually appointed to that role. Drafting mm -hmm. our uh, denial of Reformed theology, our view that it is heresy based on the Bible itself, based on the true teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where in the world did the Reformed theology come out of the text? It came out when he took his glasses off. That's oh. the only point that I know. Okay. So like, but then again, it's, it's one of those approaches where you don't have a, I mean, you have the Bible that you're reading from, but you have a binder 
above the Bible saying, I plan to talk about this. So let's, uh, let's find something that fits what I want to say against this. And so, you know, my opinion is there's a lot of these people that have come in to say the Southern Baptist convention as uh, reformed theology people, it started from reformed theology. So get your history, right? Um, but anyway, so we didn't creep in unaware. No, no. Calvinism in the Baptist life did not creep in unaware. So you cannot, that's not, you can't make that connection. So I'm just trying to see, like, yeah, I can see if you go like, well, see, here's, and, and Jude is talking about these antinomians that crept in unaware. And, Gnostics, and then, you can, Judaizers. then you could, I'd say you could say, well, you know, just like that time, you know, there, there has been something that has crept in unaware. There have been people that, so you can kind of utilize that as a jumping point, right? Maybe that's what you're trying to do, but you didn't explicitly come out. Um, but you know, the, the problem is, is it's historically wrong because this has not crept in unaware. So this is where you're wrong. Read a little bit of church history, read a little bit of Baptist history, anything you haven't though. It didn't creep in. It was here at the outset. Read the Baptist faith and message 1925. Is an example of exactly what Jude was talking about here. Exactly, it's, it's an example of exactly what Jude was talking about here. No, now I can tell you that you know I believe Paul was. I derive my theology as a reform guy from what Paul said. You know, which he said that some people take him wrongly, that he is antinomian which is not true. And then he says, you know, the law is good and we uphold the law. The grace doesn't nullify the law. And so their condemnation is just if they are correct about his position, but they're not. <laughs> and that's what Paul talks about. So your condemnation is just if that's the truth, but it's not just so if you, who made a better application, me or you, I just made a better application. You have not really Try it. You're just, you're asserting, you're asserting, but you haven't drawn the bridge. And I understand if there's like a, a an issue of, uh, you know, like just, just proper way of sermon writing that hasn't developed. I get that, you know, so I'm leaving room for mistakes or whatever, but it, it didn't happen. But the problem I have is that you're asserting this stuff with prejudice and malice. And with no That's historical where the context in. or, yeah. or so biblical again, context. Yeah, so Calvinism, yeah, Reformed theology did not creep in unawares. There hasn't been brothers sitting here sowing this stuff um, unaware. It's a part of history. And so we have to deal with that history. And so you're, you're not giving people the proper uh, understanding of the conversation, which is only going to divide. And I'm going to name this. Since, since Reformed theology is another gospel, according to this guy, that means no Southern seminary. That means no Al Mohler. That means no Wayne Grudem. That means no R.C. Sproul. That means no John MacArthur. That means that you have now split yourself in church history and called a bunch of people non-Christians who have contributed amazing things to the spread of the gospel, not just for people who would consider themselves Calvinists, by the way. These men have crept in unawares. Nope. Unawares to the point that they will become pastors of 
God-fearing, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. There were I already pastors not. of God-fearing. I did Bible not creep in unaware of the reality that God saves people by his grace for his glory. Yeah. That so whenever perfect. you came to, say, First Baptist Buffalo, was the question asked, what is your soteriology? Are you a Calvinist? Whatever. Was that no. question asked? No, I straight up told them. Okay, so you didn't creep in underwear, unaware, and that was before they voted you in. You didn't wait till that was in the after. first. That was in the first interview. Okay, so did the same thing you, when I was here. Yeah. So the thing is, then uh, he can't be talking about you then. <laughs> so it's one of those things, just utilizing, you know, the the hist history of the moment here. You know, this is Dallas County. Um, you know, he's he can't be talking about Dave. Um, whenever Dave was in Dallas County. So, you know, but what, what he's doing is he's, he's boogeymanning. He's, he's building a straw man. Now we got propaganda going on that these people are creeping in and worse. They're coming to get us. Right. And this is evil and wrong. But then again, he hasn't even made the right application. He hasn't brought in the history and all that stuff. Now, if it's, uh, you know, um, well, another, let's give an example of uh, creeping in unaware. Um, whenever um, we can just take uh, what we talked about on the show before with Philip Wright, where he is an elder at a Southern Baptist church. He's been a part of it for a long time. Stuff happens in his life to where he ends up going another way and he starts preaching it in his pulpit. And they eventually, they, they got rid of him then. I can give you that's, the that's, 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 that's from creeping my first in. sermon. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's creeping in. Right. But again, this isn't creeping in. So the rest of what you say is not true. Right. Doesn't even matter anymore because you've messed up there. So you got to start back over and go, okay, this didn't creep in unaware. So I got to go somewhere else. And, and so where you got to go, if you want to talk about reformed theology and why it's wrong, then we can hit the points. We can hit the points in scripture. We can talk about John six. We can, we can do the thing that we would do with Leighton flowers. Okay, let's have some fun and put your money where your mouth is. If you believe that this is that important that we're to contend again, another invitation, please, brother, come and talk to us. Let's have this. You want it, you want it to go worldwide, then you can come on this show where we want our show to go worldwide too. So come on and let's have a discussion and let's be brothers and not divisive. Hurt them, change them on the slide, underhandedly. Slickly, with great swelling words, as the Bible puts it, to endorse Reformed theology. It's a, a, a trick of, uh, of words. It's a, it's a, watch this. When you see somebody that's found Reformed theology, see how often they quote other men. Never again. I have to be very staunch on this one. Never tell your people that lie again. I will quote you John 6. I will quote you John 10, John 8. We'll go there. That's what I was presented with. That's what I had to deal with whenever I was going through like what I believe versus what the Bible says. Whenever I found out I was embarrassed by scripture, whenever I, oh, it's, what I wasn't confronted with Calvin. 
Dude, I, I wasn't confronted. Like I didn't even know really who Charles Spurgeon was. And before, you know, I came to got in this, but it was because of the scripture first. And then I read these guys to help me understand because they're my brothers who were given gifts in the past because God works in history for history. Right. And so that's, that's the thing is we might use men, but I'm going to now, because here's what Jesus says. If you're going to judge with a certain measure, you will be judged in like measure. So, so are you ready to live out that proverb? Because now, anytime that you quote somebody other than the 60, somebody in the 66 books, we're going to be like, oh, and that's not a problem. Why? Oh, and that's not a problem. Why? Oh, and that is so again, this is a straw man and this is going to pit people against each other because this is not true. You brother should well know as a pastor what the reform position is and where we get it from. And yes, I understand right there on my bookshelf. I do have Calvin. I do have Burkhoff. I do have frame, right? But I had those long after I was confronted with what Jesus said in the book of John. Well, and then it continues going on through the rest of the gospels into Paul, into Peter, into Jude, you know, going through those things. So please, this hits me to the heart because what you're telling me is I'm just believing guys when I didn't do that at all. And so you're lying about me. And I don't want to say that about a pastor. That's an egregious charge against a pastor. The same Bible that uh, tells me these things that why I'm a reformed theologian also tells me how to do polity. And it tells me that if I'm going to bring a charge against a pastor, it's got to be a big charge and I better have witnesses. Mm. Well, the thing is, I, I am compelled to say, sir, you are a liar and you must repent and you need to be held accountable. So this is, this is serious stuff that Adam, you're playing I, with. I so appreciate what you said there. I did not own a copy of, I had never read anything by Calvin. Um, I had never read Burkhoff. I had never read Frame. Uh, I'd never heard the name James White. Um, I had never read Sproul or MacArthur. On May 7th of 2012, I read Ephesians 1. And my notes on that day were, what? And that was the day that God used scripture to cause me to see the amazing beauty of salvation that is dependent on God, by God, and for God, and to the glory of God. I needed no one but the text and the clear meaning of Ephesians 1 understood based upon what the scripture said itself. I had nobody who was coaching me, coaxing me. I mean, I, like, I literally just got up and grabbed some old quiet time notes mm. off of my shelf, right? Because I was like, I have the day, May 7th, mm. 2012. I was going to Second Baptist Church Springfield, right? Mm. They're not reformed by any means. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have even known, like, I didn't even know who Steve Lawson was or 
uh, I didn't know who Al, I didn't know who Al Mohler was. Like honestly, mm. scripture, Ephesians one understood for what it is. Mm-hmm. When when it they when need I, a bibliography. No, go, for go for it. Go for it, man. Okay. He's saying you need a bibliography. Well, how dare you, you accuse me of sermon. using the words of men? We would love to talk with you and work through the words of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I'd invite you to demonstrate from Scripture that I preach a counter gospel, that I believe a counter gospel. By the way, just so you know, I don't think that your soteriology is a dividing line between me being able to minister beside you. But yep. you decided and, that it was. Yes. And here's the implications. Okay. So there's a w- wonderful work called the implications of Calvinism. Right. And so yeah. here's the one thing I'm tied to as a Calvinist is I, we are saved by faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. Right. And so I can't hold to doctrinal perfectionism. Yep. I know some hyper Calvinists do. Okay. And you might've been hurt by them. I get it. Okay, that's, we've been attacked by them. <laughs> yes, yes, and um, and so I, there are people that, as Dave and I have said in the past, that draw a little circle. Only their little, their only their big toe can fit in, right? And there's many issues that that happens on, and this is definitely one of them. Um, but I have to live out the implications consistently. Paul says, "Walk worthy of the calling to which you are called." I am to walk consistent, consistently, and so I have to go. I have to look at maybe at something else to look at the fruit. Okay. And so one of those things would be, are you going to bear fruit of repentance in the situation and go, Hey, I have said something wrong. Um, sorry guys. Maybe we don't need to be attacking this. Maybe we can work with our Calvinist brothers and then we can actually go, uh, and actually work on abolitionism or, yeah. you know, some, or, or fostering or adoption, can we work with our Calvinist people that do that? Because like, I can't call your salvation into question just based on theological um, perfectionism. But that's exactly what he did with us. We Mm -hmm. are heretics. Al Mohler, R.C. Sproul, Steve Lawson, John Frame. I mean, the list goes on. We're all a bunch of heretics. By the way, here's the book that he was just talking about. Beautiful book. In fact, I would encourage anyone who is not informed about the doctrines of grace to read this book and ask themselves if this is the kind of pastor that you would want to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I've said in the past, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and I'll just admit it here again, you know, like just with the whole Leighton Flowers thing, it's hard is what I said. It's hard. It's a hard thing to go like a guy like that with what he does, because he does the same sort of thing. So, you know, I, I get that it's hard to be brothers. All right. It's hard. So I've had my issues of going, it's hard. And whenever we get into your under the understanding with him on his, his, uh, friendship with open theism, that's what makes it really much harder. And so I know with this brother here, he's probably not going to go that, that route. So that's not going to be a part of the conversation that makes it even harder, but here's where it's hard to be brothers, but we get still got to go. It's not doctrinal perfectionism. And I would, I would, I'd say the other side of the issue is doctrinal perfectionism because it's based on your choice and what you know and how you act, and it becomes works righteousness real mm-hmm. quick, and that's the implication. So I'm talking about logical implications here, right? Um, and so that's where we'd hit you, brother, because if you don't hold to this, then it's about your choice, 
It's about what you know, because it's only because the change of your mind, because you were fine, it just needed the right information to choose and accept. Mm, right? That's what I can say about your position. Are you going to like that? Probably not. So let's have a talk on scripture. Again, I, you know, this, this whole man thing, just that, that cuts and it's an egregious claim. That's not true. Well, it's disappointing and that it's now, it's now educating the people in the flock. Yeah. Don't read Christian theology. Don't get read a good doctrinal book. I, anyone who comes to me and they want a good doctrinally deep book, man, I don't look at it and say, oh yeah, this guy's an Arminian. Oh man, don't ever read. Don't ever e. read Tozer. Geisler's. Or, don't ever read <laughs> Geisler's four yeah. volume systematic theology. Baloney. Man, it's amazing. I love one of my favorite books on inerrancy is Geisler all over it. I mean, it is if someone wanted to know about the doctrine of inerrancy, Geisler's book, Inerrancy, is amazing. Vital issues in the inerrancy debate, desiring inerrancy, or defending inerrancy, amazing. Those are brothers. I disagree with them regarding the doctrine of soteriology, but man, I, how stupid would I be not to partner with them? For the advancement of the kingdom. Yeah. But see, now, now, if Clifton Long and that association is going to be consistent, everybody that does not conform to their particular traditionalist position is not, it's not that they have some theological positions wrong. It's it's not Christian. That's what they've said. That's mm -hmm. a problem. Oh, yeah. He comes out. Yeah, he puts the big A Christ word out there. Spout reformed theology. See how often they quote other men. I hope Amen. nobody ever quotes you, Pastor. They need a bibliography to go along with their sermons in nope. order to not... Uh, uh, you need a bibliography when you're writing a book. People write books, and they need bibliographies. And they do that just so, you know, because we don't want to be Ed Litton. Okay? We don't want to be plagiarists. And we want to give credit where credit's due. And again, we're utilizing the gifts of our brothers and sisters in their studies. God has put us together to study together. That, like The Bible reconciles people because it makes people come together to study it together. That's why we have Sunday school. That's and why we have life groups. That's why we come together on Sunday morning and worship with our ears and our brains while a pastor teaches. Because again, you're going to kill yourself out of a job. Because you're saying, don't listen to man, because you got to understand you are giving your opinion right now to these people. They're going to be quoting you on what reformed theology is. You haven't given them any proof. So they're just taking your word for it. And they're going to quote you. Well, my pastor said this against, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to ask you, uh, stop quoting man, please. And tell me from the scriptures, did you give them any ammunition to then we could actually talk that your people if we got, a, if I was down the street talking to one and I heard him talking about, hey, the reformed theology is bad. Okay, why? Is he going to quote you or is he going to quote scripture? Did you give them any ammunition here? No, you didn't. So they're going to have to quote you. And if we're all against people quoting and paraphrasing other the works of other people, well, we probably need to throw out Paul's sermon in Acts 17. Well, we have to throw out Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter uh, four, we obviously need to throw out Jude because, again, Jude quotes from, oh, I don't know, the Assumption of Moses and uh, the Book of Enoch. So, wh what is it? Do we not quote other people? 
no, oh, wait, we and then that uh, because we Bibles, want people to know it isn't just coming from me. Yeah, and our Bibles have these things on the bottom. They're called footnotes. You want to remove those? Uh, you want to remove those? You know, those are that's very vital information that if people don't know, um, that's stuff that uh, throws people out of the door pretty quick too. Is whenever, oh, but uh, why does your Bible have less verses than mine? Remember, the verses aren't inspired, but you know, whenever it comes down to it, why does your Bible have less verses than mine? And then I'm, you know, are you King James only as verse? And so you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, yeah, you're using the CSB. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another point against you. You're a Calvinist using the CSB, you know, whatever. Again, so you're the one making titles, making the divisive thing, calling for unity. It's it's hilarious, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it's, you know, that's 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 the problem. But you know, if you are afraid of talking about the work of man, because remember it's God that calls us to work. So man does do things. And then we're working together as a body. We got to do this. And so you're, you're, you are again, going against scripture um, calling us to do, because you're wanting to have action and it has to be biblical action, but you're denying the biblical action. Like, again, like, which is it? What are you feeding your people? And so it's like, you can't, you don't have to repent if you don't want to, but I'm worried about your people now too. If that's the case, if you're not going to repent, I'm worried about your people because with what goes on in the pulpit happens in the church. Well, here's the thing. Number one, I want you to look at the method in which we're dealing with this. Uh, my hope has never been to say, oh, what a stupid guy who doesn't know anything about church history or about scripture or how to exegete scripture. No, no. What I'm saying is, brother, number one, I, I don't think your methodology is at all um, clearly demonstrating a consistent exegesis of scripture. That's incredibly important that you do that. You do learn to do that by studying under trained individuals who. They don't even have to, they, I don't care if it's a Calvinist or a non-Calvinist, a, a reformed person or a non-reformed person. The, the hermeneutics is something that can be taught in a consistent and conservative manner from multiple people with different soteriologies. The reality is, though, that's not where you, you stop. Mishandling the text is not where you stop. It's what you poured into the text and your attack that you use scripture as a foundation for, which isn't even an, an accurate demonstration of a position. And then you called those people non-Christians. So according to what you have now taught your flock, Jude was writing about reformed theology and telling his church that there was a bunch of non-Christians who were bringing reformed theology into the church. That's problematic. What I would love to do is I would love to send you a copy of, of this book right here, What is Reformed Theology? I would love to have a discussion with you where you could maybe ask some questions where we could actually clarify and not have these caricatures, which then make brothers in the Lord who are young and who aren't at all mature in scripture thinking that someone like me or someone like Adam or someone like Sproul or someone like Moeller are somehow non-Christians. Like that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's it called uh, when you're writing somebody else's words? My mind just went blank on it. Plagiarism. 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 
They don't want to be accused of plagiarism. They're no, quoting all these men. No, that's academics. It's fine. I don't have to worry about it when I'm quoting God. Amen. I don't have to worry about whether or not I give credit where credit's due. It's okay for me to tell you what he. This is pious pride, and it needs to go away too. Because you're not being fair. You're not playing fair at all. You're using unequal scales to elevate yourself, and you need to repent of your pride. Right on, brother. So this is the thing: is is you're 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 playing the victim. You're not a victim. You're a perpetuator of lies. Now, your congregation is going to be a victim of being stuck only in here that tells them to actually come together and do the work that requires bibliographies. Again, you're, you have to, to lift up one thing out of balance is to lose something else. You have to have both. Okay. That's what we have to say. And so again, stop it, stop it, stop it. This is propaganda. This is lies. And you're now just compounding stuff that you have to repent of. And it's going to be hard. And I get that, but let's have a conversation so it can happen so that we can actually show whoever's seen this now needs to know that things are reconciled. If not, you can divide, but you know, it won't because you weren't invited for reconciliation. He said, Amen. Without giving him credit, he's already got. I don't have to worry about plagiarism because I ain't quoting man. They do. Uh, well, you're quoting men who were, what does the Bible say? Who were led by the Spirit to write. So you're going to quote Paul. See, what you're doing is you're forcing a dichotomy that, you know, like the thing is, is no, God spoke and man wrote. And so you're not giving an accurate projection of what the gospel or what, what, the, what the Bible is. Jesus was God and man. The Bible is God and man, right? So it's a, it's a divine and human document, just like Jesus is 100% divine and human. Yes, it's something that explodes our understanding, and we have to, just like Paul and, oh, wait, I, I, like, like the Holy Spirit, I guess I can't say Paul because I can't quote man, right? See, see the problem. So we are quoting men. It's an anti-academic and anti-thinking view. It's yeah, because especially much- again with the yeah bibliography thing, like um, Paul would have a bibliography because he's going like in Psalms, doesn't it say? And this and so there is a bit. So I mean, like I mean, again, yeah, yeah. This, this is the prejudice exactly is causing like so much absurdity. Saying the prophet Micah said, the prophet Joel said, like the other thing about this is though. Don't you want a pastor who has studied the words of pastors before him? Don't you want a pastor who understands historically how they were able to look at a text and understand it? Um, To me, it seems incredibly egregious to state, no, no, I don't want a pastor who reads good theology who has a understanding of church history, who knows how passages or a historical theology and knows how we've come to doctrines that we have arrived at. This is the problem with an anti-intellectual fervor. And Brother Long, what you're doing now is you're creating a, a massive barrier. You're now creating this idea where your church, when they're going to need a pastor one day, you're saying, 
you should not trust anybody who went to a seminary, who studied theology, who actually looked at historical theology, who looks at biblical theology, who looks at systematic theology. No, no, no. We don't want anyone who understands how doctrine has been developed from the exegesis of scripture. We don't want anybody to come behind this pulpit who actually has been educated from one of our seminaries because they're evil places where they're perpetuating the, the heresy that is Calvinism. That sets up a very bad standard for the people in your church to, to not trust someone because they actually went and learned original languages, learned church history, and did so so that they could accurately handle the text of scripture in a way that doesn't force someone's hobby horse into a text like you've done here. Yeah. And I mean, the implication is that is if I walked into the church, are there going to be brochures? Are there going to, is there a library? And it needs to be cleared out now. Same thing whenever mm-hmm. uh, that we, that we said uh, whenever uh, we did the yoga episode um, with John Lindell. Okay. Make sure you don't have it in your church. You do. Sadly, you say you can't Christianize it. Well, you, you, you have, right. So you need to remove it now, right? So I don't, I don't know if it's gone or the chain. You know, there's a lot of changes going on over there too. But so now the implication is, sir, if that's correct, get rid of any like uh, what is prayer type brochures. You know, get rid of um, any library books. Get rid of your personal library. I hope you don't have a personal library. I hope you don't have commentaries. Just get rid of it all, and then you get to be. Oh, the Pope of your church. Watch out. Watch out. This is, da- this is dangerous for you. So again, this is why we're doing the show. And it's not, again, be, to pick you apart and win. We want to win you over as a brother, right? My, my question so would so be- So we are scared for you because of what you're doing. But likewise, if now we can't trust any of our seminaries, because that's the implications of this. I mean, that's stated so clearly then you now have a charge. Who are the young men that you're training up to preach? Who is the group of pastors that you're only using the Bible to teach systematic theology, to teach how to do exegesis, uh, to teach church history? Who are those young men that you have now said, you come to me? There also becomes a problem. You've made yourself, again, the, the implications are, you're the Pope. You're the one. You're the one with the authority. That's where this is very problematic. It's okay, nice statement. Where does that lead? That's yep. and so where then that's the problem. And that'd be the one problem. Now there's the other one. Okay, so you get rid of all that. Then it becomes me and my Bible under a tree. So then you lose congregants, even though they would be listening to the Bible and coming to church. The absurdity between there, or you have people vying for your position because, oh, well, I can't quote you. You're not an authority. So then I must be the authority and then we're all authorities. And then again, you have incoherent particulars. Now I'm speaking above things, but I mean, this is, this fits into the one and many problem. So either you got a Pope problem or you've got everybody's the authority problem. And so you got either monism or a mono, like, and I say, say the, the similarity between monotheism and polytheism, either you have one God which is not a Trinity, just a one Unitarian God, which is a very, uh, in that sense, you would be a very egotistical maniac. Or you have polytheism where you just have the gods fighting each other all the time. 
but see, we got to try you, try you God in community, uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's a different subject for a different day, but I just wanted to make that. That's the implication. Either you're going to go Pope or you're going to go. Everybody's at, every, like each individual is at schism there. And there's no connective tissue because you got to get those people to work together as the Bible says in roles and work with one another and utilize one another. This is the absurdity. And again, it's very dangerous. And you're got you got a two-fold issue. Which way are you going to go now? And you know, it's going to destroy your church, which if you're going to peddle this kind of stuff, might be a good thing, but it's not for me to do. That'll be it'll die because God kills it. So I'm so this becomes now let's go into Revelation and talk about how Christ talked to churches like that. Is there something in your church that Jesus would come and remove your lampstand for? And if you continue in this, your lampstand will be removed. And I'm just a brother to warn you pretty soon. If you keep on going this direction, it's going to, it's going to be by bye-bye. And I, I don't want to see a church die. Okay. I don't want to see that, but if it does, again, that's not mine, but this is the implications of what you're teaching and what it'll lead to. God forbid. And, you know, God does keep things together. So again, there's also that, but you're being dangerous saying that people like me and Dave are dangerous. So let's continue with the video here. We just got a few more minutes Yep. and uh, we'll, uh, then let we'll, me know uh, when you need to rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. They do pay attention to sermons. Why should I pay I attention to sermons? Charles Spurgeon, oh, wait a second. Stanley or anybody else. You better give them credit. They might have it copyrighted. You might be in 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 uh, Let me get Charles that. Spurgeon. Go I don't here. have to worry about plagiarism because I ain't quoting man. They do. Pay attention to sermons. I don't care if it's Charles Spurgeon, Stanley, or anybody else. You better give them credit. They might have it copyrighted. You should give you them might credit. Be in, that's in, that's in, actually uh, the honest uh, thing to do. If you yeah, use God the words of someone people. else, you want to give credit to them. That is yeah. an important thing to do. And guess you know what? Why, you know why we do that? Because God in his word has said he is against theft. And <laughs> are you ready? It's acknowledging that guess what? When you look at scripture, there are people who have made incredibly good comments and enhanced your understanding of scripture. How did you know, Brother Long, that Jude was the author uh, Jesus' brother Jude was the Jude that it's talked about. How did you know, Brother Long, about Peter being hung upside down? How did you know those things? You knew them because other people, you'd either read someone or heard someone. And, and it's unfortunate that you didn't provide the folks in your church with the opportunity to go and read up more on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, against the law here, there's no law against me quoting Jesus Christ and God Almighty and this Bible. And so the dichotomy is that you and me, Dave, we would never, ever use the Bible in what we talk about. We would never open up scripture and talk about stuff. Well, we're just going to, uh, oh, oh, you're going to buy a Bible. Or say, let's for an illustration, we're at a bookstore and somebody comes up and uh, yeah, I'm looking uh, for one of those Bibles. Uh, we'd go like, oh, get them, get them the institutes, get them. No, no, come on. 
Hey, hey, dude, come over here. here let, let's not go over to the Bible section. You need to find the uh, systematic theology section. Yeah, you don't need one of those. Just get the, get the systematic. You know, it's like the Cliff Notes or whatever. You know, we're not doing that. And that's the picture you're portraying. And here is the- this is unfair, and you need to repent. And we ask for we ask you for an apology. Yeah, that and is it's a- not. And it's not like let us be representative of the people you are tearing down. You're absolutely lying about. All right. It is, this is sad. This is, and you're, and you're very elevated. So I hope you don't look at me and go, man, you're very passionate. Well, you are too, (laughs) because you are cutting me and you're cutting Dave and, you know, and people like us are, well, brothers who agree with us, you know, yeah, but they're your brothers too. And if we are so evil and you are so incredibly passionate against it. Brother, could you accurately reflect anything that you understand about Reformed theology? Yeah. This particular we, I point, haven't. I've heard your opinion. Heard, yeah. All we've heard is a bunch of straw men and ad hominems. No actual. Here is what individuals who affirm tenets of Reformed theology believe. Here is what they teach. And here is how they deal with scripture. That's not what you've done. Yeah, and, I ha- and he hasn't provided scripture himself yet. He hasn't made a point on what it is. It's just a general prejudicial conjecture, right? And then um, he can just continue just interjecting it, but he's not saying what he does say something, but then he never goes, but here's what the Bible says against that. That's right. So you're quoting yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's your, your, your own authority. You're quoting yourself. You're not quoting even the Bible. You're not quoting another man, but you're just quoting your yourself. That's that's a bigger problem. So uh, again, stay and consistent, my, right? When they start quoting man's pay particular attention to what they're spewing. Yeah, that's fine. Because I'm going to do the same to you. Wait, it's not biblical. It's not okay. biblical to it's no so it's not biblical to not steal from man and to give credit where credit's due and utilize each other's gifts. That's not biblical. It's not biblical to say, hey, my pastor um was talking about this today. And here's a really great quote, his summation of say the passage uh, that we talked about today. And that was wonderful. That's not biblical. How in the world hmm. are you going to share the gospel with other people? If you're not going to utilize training sources, material, the teaching of others, that's the real question there. Yeah. That was happening then. A little different spin on it. <laughs> it was happening then, but a little different spin on it. No. Ooh, <laughs> I'm glad you caught yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, sir. Yeah. No. No, sir. There is con- nothing that Jude is dealing with that in the certain people that he is talking about, he's talking about the Nicolodia, the Nicolite, the Nicolite, Nicolaitans, I think is how you say it, uh, the Nicolites. He's talking about the Libertines. He's talking about the Gnostics. He's talking about. Uh, and really Jews. like proto, it's not, and it's not even like Gnostics. You can't even, yeah, like that's, it's, it's like a proto. That's what grew out of like Jewish mysticism. 
in a way. And then you add Jesus in somehow and you got paganism. It's just a bunch of syncretism that happened, especially because Christ happened. He um, was not so. denouncing people who said by faith alone, by grace alone, or excuse me, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all the glory of God alone. Scripture alone is the sole and infallible word. He was not at all denouncing or trying to correct people who would say that. Yeah. And so whenever you, and just to, just to put it out there, when you say reformed theology, those five solas are definitional. So there are differences even within that. But if we all hold to sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, sola Deo gloria, right? If we hold to those, that's reformed. You got a big umbrella of a lot of people that still don't agree on baptism, on um, say personal property. So, you know, where I agree with Zwingli on one issue, I definitely do not agree with him on his econ- economics whatsoever. And I think his economics are horrible. And, and I would say at that point, it is evil because that's communism and socialism, right? But that's one point. And am I going to say he's not a brother? Where am I supposed to agree? Am I supposed to separate over economics or if he's in Christ or not in Christ? Which, which one am I supposed to do? So I love Zwingli. I love Luther. That's weird, right? They couldn't shake hands, but there was division, right? So, I mean, this is what we're talking about here, and we need to stop dividing over the non-dividing issues. And so when you're saying you're against Reformed theology, you are against Sola Scriptura. Are you against So here's where I have to ask, and here's where the truth will come out. Are you against Scripture as the sole infallible rule of faith. If you're not, we're brothers. Are you against saved by grace through faith alone? Not by works, but maybe um, will 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 you go this next step with Martin Luther? Do you believe that the faith produces works? You're not working for faith, but faith produces works. Then we're brothers. Do you believe that we can only have this in Jesus alone? Then we're brothers. Can you say that God gets all the glory, all this that's happening, God gets all the glory. Do you then we're brothers and you are a product of reformed theology. Yeah. Yeah. So you might still not be reformed. I totally get it. I'm not going to call, like, I still have a problem calling like the saying reformed Arminian. I know that I have one buddy that listens and he's going to hit me up on this. So I totally get it. (laughs) I'm expecting a text from you, but I still have, you know, but you know, there, there, there is that issue. Um, but you know, you are still like, if you hold to that, you are still some sort of product of the reformation. So you can't get so mad about and hot against reformed theology. I had to do this with a family member of mine that had a problem with some things, but I was asking some just uniform or some more of the universal type questions. I'm like, here's where we agree. Okay. You shouldn't have a problem. I think it was with total depravity. I just kind of like, like kind of synthesized, just summary down just a couple there's five questions with the five points there. And, and then, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Then you're fine. (laughs) You know? So like, we're fine. I don't know what your problem is. If you hold to this, okay, that's fine. You might not fully, totally understand the nuance, but Hey, if you can agree to that, then you might be a Calvinist, whatever, (laughs) you know, but that's not what I'm trying to do. So that's the, that's the thing. That's, that's the real question is, you're saying this against Reformed theology. Here's a definition of Reformed theology. If you're against those things, then my brother, you're, you are the one out of orthodoxy. But I don't believe that. I think you just got some prejudice and a hobby horse. 
and some I amens. I think that you've had some ill-informed people tell you what Reformed theology is, and you haven't read one book on it. Oh, yeah. Why would you read a man's book on it, right? <laughs> that's, that's the sad problem. Oh. You've sequestered yourself. I'd be more than happy to mail you this book after we visit. I'd be more than happy to visit with you about that. Yeah. And I think that is a very good stopping point for this uh, episode anyway. And so we continue on. I think just uh, for uh, the future anyway, we are at, I got to open my iPad up because I went on a good long rant anyway. So we have 36 minutes and 27 seconds left in the video. I don't think that's probably the whole sermon um, time, but if it is, we'll deal with it, but we'll at least have at least one more episode on this. But uh, we hope um, that again, we have provided a picture. Yeah. Once we complete it, we're going to send this to brother long. I am going to try to track down his phone number and see if there is some way that I can make contact with him. I have an old email address from him and i've reached out to him on messenger um we're going to send this to him on messenger we're going to invite him to come on and respond not in mean heartedness but like brother i you've attacked us sincerely what we've done is demonstrate inconsistencies and done so uh in a state of brotherly love brother you can't you can't just ridicule brothers in the faith this way and then say that they're not christians that's dangerous yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's, uh, let's do what Christ has told us to do and, uh, go, you know, I understand that you probably don't think we're brothers, but, uh, for the sake of argument and to put your money where your mouth is, because I mean, if you can't come approach us as brothers, then you have to approach us by putting your money with your mouth is because you did start off saying this is, you've got to be contending is important. So now we have countered Here's your opportunity, again, like I said, to be an example to your flock. If you're going to ask them to contend, you have to be willing to contend or else you are a coward leader. All right. And I don't want to believe that about you and the way that you're passionate. Um, you know, this, this could really be something and we could actually talk and we would have a, you know, and I, I know that my actions get a little, I get passionate too. So we can get passionate together. And, uh, but we can still treat each other as image bearers, right? That's the point of contact. Even if you do not agree with my brotherhood and my fellowship, um, we can at least look at each other as image bearers of God that have to uh, come to some sort of conclusion together with this, even if we still hold contention. But I think what we will find is that we'll have a lot more in common and it will be based on reformed theology versus its antithesis. And uh, you will not be so against Reformed theology after we have a better conversation and sharpen each other. Okay. So I I think that would be great. So this is a great first half. And, uh, you know, the next time I'm not sure what we have, we got some other stuff in the back burner and and stuff like that for some other type of shows coming up. Um, And no, it's uh, not just a stuff. And we got just to mention at the end of the show anyway, is that we got a conference coming up Saturday. And you got to be there April 2nd. If you go to hopebaptistchurch.com slash conference, you can sign up for free and there's food and it's a Christendom conference at uh, First Baptist in Battlefield, Missouri. 
Um, did I mention there's free food? Yes, I did. And I did it again because, you know, food is good and it's going to be barbecue. I think not, not barbecue. It's going to be something homegrown from some, a farmer that's actually speaking at the conference too. So it's going to be like something very special, but be there from, it starts at eight 15 in the morning. It's free. Um, Dave and I will be there to do the Q and a, like we did at the God and government conference last year. It's going to be a grand old fun time. And I am excited, um, to be able to be there in person with my brother, Dave. Adam, thank you. Uh, Brother Long, if you're listening, um, I would extend an invitation in graciousness. Uh, I would consider you a brother, but if we're not brothers, then wend me. Wend me from the scripture and demonstrate to me from scripture why I am lost and why Christ did not take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh and why I am not a new creation in Christ Jesus, as you have so asserted. That would be my challenge to you, out of love for me out of love for Adam and a desire to see our souls saved, contend for the faith, the faith that was once delivered. Amen. Amen. With that said, this is the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bubble. And Sully. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.